Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin leads the nation in the production of specialty cheeses, accounting for 47% of the total? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian dishes. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on a dish or an aspect of Asian cuisine, and we interview experts on the topic. Okay, so hashtag FMW Asian breakfast is back in a big way this season. Last week, we talked about Beijing's jianbing. This week, we're on to Taiwan's famous breakfast. For those who haven't had the pleasure of experiencing it yet, the typical Taiwanese breakfast consists of a decent amount of carbs in various forms of bings and porridge. And there's some options for proteins and eggs to be added to your carbs too. And all of it is usually washed down by a hot glass or bowl of soy milk. If you want to try it out in NYC, you can head on over to Zailai, a home-style Taiwanese concept in Columbus Circle's turnstile market. Zailai, meaning come back soon in Mandarin, aims to deliver the comfort and hospitality of a home-cooked family meal to on-the-go commuters. And here in the studio with me is chef of Zailai, Edward Huang. Chef Edward's curiosity about food began in elementary school when he learned that not everybody ate rice for dinner. After college, Chef Edward traveled back to his roots, spending a couple years in Taiwan, exploring his family heritage and eating his way across the island. Edward has worked in kitchens from Taiwan to Manhattan, including staging at James Kitchen in Taipei, Feng Chu in the Lower East Side, and most recently at Mission Chinese Food. Welcome to the show, Edward. It's good to be here, Linda. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. And even on this snowy nor'easter day, <laughs> we made it. It's cold out there, but it's warm in here. Um, okay, so before we dig into it, sometimes we like to start our show with What's the best thing you ate recently? And I'll go first, so you have a second to think about it, Edward. <laughs> sure. Um, but yesterday, because I was getting provisions for the nor'easter, again, like a big fat lie, <laughs> with the weather forecast anyways, uh, I got an awesome Korean burrito at Bulbap Grill, which is in my hood in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, it came with this like soft, almost sticky cilantro lime rice, lettuce and cheese with 
sweet, juicy bulgogi wrapped in a tortilla. And it was just a great um, fusion dish. So what about you, Edward? What have you been eating? Well, I was recently home in California, so I had the privilege of eating my mom's home-cooked food. Oh, best. <laughs> so it, it's, it's hard to beat. So my mind immediately went to that. Uh, she did a something, I guess, newer. She did a scallop dish um, that she stir-fried with snow peas, some broccoli, some mushrooms. Um, yeah. And paired carrots, with rice. Paired with rice, yeah. Oh, so fresh, so home-cooked. Yeah, that I was, sounds really great. Every time I go home, I need to take notes so I can uh, have new <laughs> items on our menu. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Your inspo <laughs> is mom. Okay, so um, going back to your bio... Where did you move to and from when you realized not everybody ate rice for dinner? <laughs> well, I was in California at the time. Uh, I can actually picture it. Like what it. part? Oh, Southern California. Okay. Uh, in a place called Fountain Valley. Uh-huh. And I can picture it. It's, I was uh, in the front yard with one of my neighbors, Matt Benson, and we, I don't know. What an American name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously non-Asian. Uh, and... We, I don't even know how we started talking about it. I think I was, in, I was pretty young, maybe like first or second grade. Mm-hmm. And he told me that they were having potatoes and, and bread for dinner. And I said, what? Yeah, like, that what? was like your f- first food conversation where there was a clear difference. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like that moment as a kid when you realize like the chicken is, is chicken. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, whoa, that, that's, that's mind blowing, but it makes sense. Or... Um, also, that I remember a moment uh, when I was older, actually, when I realized that American um, restaurants serve fish without bones. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was really proud of my, you know, bone fish picking skills. <laughs> of from, course, <laughs> from my childhood. <laughs> with so, the chopsticks. Yeah, with the chopsticks. So, so that was another sort of small but mind blowing sort of moment. So it was kind of just, you know, being so. Um, integrated with your like family food culture that when you stepped out of it um, growing up as a kid like step by step you see all these differences even in you know California yeah 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 yeah. I mean it's it's interesting because I think my mom made it a point to cook dinner every single night so that was just normal for me so anything else I think was it was fun for me to explore and see what 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 was normal for everyone else yeah what a um American Chinese story. <laughs> totally. um, so what kind of food did you eat uh, growing up? And because we're talking about breakfast, what did you eat for breakfast? So growing up, uh, I just mentioned my mom would make it a point to cook every night. And I, I really love that. And I think that's a lot of where the culture of, of, of Zilai comes from is the sense of, of eating together as a family. Uh, I, w- I remember as a kid, I was I was a little whiny. So I'd always complain about wanting fast food and and, and wanting to go out. But I think now as an adult, I'm so grateful that that was something that my mom made it a point to do. I mean... And she's from Taiwan. Yes, she's from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the inspiration behind uh, much of, of Zilai's food and, and the dishes and the culture. So so what about the breakfast part? So the breakfast part, I mean, this is suburban California, so it was pretty boring. I just eat cereal most of the time, to be honest. That's but, where the American comes in, of the Chinese-American. <laughs> exactly. But I do, I mean, one of the things that we serve is a rice porridge. And I remember that being a, a really memorable highlight of, of 
childhood breakfast for me. I mean, uh, for us, there would be so many fun and wonderful sides. I mean, I would eat the, the century egg, the pea dun with mm-hmm. the pork floss and the tofu and a little bit of soy sauce over it or uh, the fermented bean curd or the salted uh, duck egg or the pickled cucumbers or, uh, God forbid now, I mean, it was straight up gluten with, uh, with peanut. I mean, it, I guess... Hearing myself say these things, it doesn't sound that appetizing, but it was it was really tasty. Mm-hmm. It's like the color, the different textures, and all of that too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so in your words, uh, how would you describe um, Taiwanese breakfast? What are the typical components? I feel like you did a pretty good job of describing Taiwanese breakfast. I mean, it's... The carb heaviness? Car- carb heavy. <laughs> I mean, in, in that way, it's, it's very similar to American breakfast, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, carb heavy, egg heavy, um, and, um, you know, generally washed down with a cup or a bowl of soy milk. I yeah, so, on. so what would you say are, like, the key differences, then, between Taiwanese and U.S. breakfast, if there's, like, those, like, egg and carb similarities? Yeah, that's a good question, Linda. Um, I recently read an article put out by the New York Times about how much sugar is in American breakfast. Oh, okay. uh, how American breakfast, in a lot of ways should be more, you know, designated as dessert rather than than breakfast. So I would say that Taiwanese breakfast, I mean, Taiwanese people generally don't like things as sugary, as sweet. So mm-hmm. Taiwanese Unless breakfast. Unless it's specifically dessert. Yes, yes. Yeah. And even, even then, I think it's less sweet than American Got dessert. Got it. Uh, but a lot of Taiwanese breakfast, for that reason, won't have all the extra sugar in there. Uh, the, for example, the, the soy milk, and we do this at Xylai, is uh, our soy milk is it's three ingredients. Mm-hmm. It's water, it's soybeans, and it's a little bit of sugar. Uh, I think uh, soy milk in the U.S. is, is it just tastes different. There's, there's preservatives, it lasts a lot longer, um, but it, it doesn't taste, it doesn't have that freshness. It doesn't mm-hmm. have that, that fullness of flavor, that, you know, that... I don't know, that raw soy uh, yeah, like, flavor. Like that, in Taiwan, in they're making it to be, you know, consumed day of in in like the next few hours or something like yeah. that, right? So, yeah, exactly. Okay, so what is the deal with soy milk <laughs> and um, <laughs> having that be like the preeminent, you know, beverage item in Taiwanese breakfast? Why is it so popular? I mean, it's it's so good. I mean, and, and if... if if our listeners haven't had Taiwanese soy milk, then I'd like to invite you over to try some Taiwanese soy milk. It's, it's, it's very different than American soy milk. But I think it also goes so well with the different carbs or eggs. Um, you know, just, just a little bit of sweetness, uh, like a savory, warm... Um, and yeah. I guess it's similar to how U.S. breakfast, you know, you can wash it down with a glass of milk. Uh, it's, it's similar to that. Um, but is it because there's a lot of lactose intolerant Asians? <laughs> I'm sure that's a big piece of it too. Well, and and I think there's been a lot of myths about soy milk that have been popularized, um, maybe not so much recently, but like in the last what? like ten years, uh, about the I think the a connection with soy milk or cancer or uh, breast cancer specifically, or um, or to soy milk and like and or soy products and decreased testosterone. I think those are all. Um, I don't know, just myths that are not around proved soy. to be true around soy. Okay. So people will avoid soy purposely, not realizing that uh, some of their conceptions of soy and the soy milk aren't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's maybe because also it's like a uh, 
big produce item that's produced in Taiwan in yeah. the China China region yeah. and it's made into soy milk but also soy sauce and whatever else right yeah yeah well and and soy milk actually I guess similar to milk it's it's really high in protein so it, it's a good way to start the day mm, great alternative to milk guys um, so what are the stars of your Tsai Lai breakfast menu <laughs> let's let's talk about what you have on there it's it's funny as um as i think about it i don't know if if um if this ever happened to you linda when you were a kid when your parents would pull you up to other kids and go back to back and like measure to see who's taller like that's that's what this feels (laughs) like (laughs) which is fine i mean i was a younger kid so i would i'd love it i'd try to like you know be taller my brother hated it because you know he was older and and uh, I, was, I was constantly trying to catch up, but so that's a little what this feels like. But but we can do it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the I mean, one of the big stars is is our rice porridge, mm-hmm. which which I've been really pleasantly surprised by. Uh, I mean, it's it's nice for me just because I have so many childhood memories of eating rice porridge with my parents, you mm-hmm. know, and so it's it's such a pleasure to share that with New York. Uh, I. I thought that it wouldn't be as popular just just because it's it's lesser known. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not. I don't I don't know where I could get Taiwanese rice porridge in the city. Honestly, aside from Zailai, and, and I'm sure there's places out there, but it's it's not. You know, it's it's not something that's on the radar of a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially if they aren't eating a lot of Taiwanese food. So the fact that I think people are trying it out and. And uh, we have we have some regulars that will come and eat it almost every day. They just they just love it. So uh, I've 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 really enjoyed sharing that dish. Yeah. What have they said about it? Why do they love it so much? I think it's a. I mean, in in some ways, it's a analog to to oatmeal, right? It's like mm-hmm. a bowl of warm, soft, textured food. It's like comforting. It's soul food. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 so comforting. Uh, we serve ours with our sous vide egg, and we uh, kind of like I had in my childhood. We, uh, I had a, my choice of sides, so we also allow people to just add on, you know, whatever and however many sides that they oh, want. Yeah, to I add. went to Zyline, totally took advantage <laughs> of the condiments bar. That pork floss was just like getting dumped on there, but like so good. Yeah, so yeah. It's the customization too. I, I think so. Yeah, I think people can can decide, and it's it's a lot of really healthy vegetables too. You know, it's it's a it's a different way to start the day, and it's—I guess—it's—it's it's less carb-heavy than some of the, some of the other bread-based uh, breakfast so, products. So, what are those? So, uh, our biggest seller is, is definitely the scallion pancake. I think everyone knows, or yeah, not it's everyone, familiar. But, yeah, like people Chinese know what a scallion product, pancake yeah. is. Uh, for breakfast, we serve it with an egg and there, so a little bit of protein. Uh, it's familiar. It's it's um, soft. It's flaky. It's you uh, grab and go. Grab and go. It's easy. Um, another item is our sesame flatbread. Uh, this one is traditionally served with uh, something called a yotiao. It's saobing yotiao, and it's it's like a fried cruller, like mm-hmm. a soft, f- chewy donut, <laughs> for lack of a better description. But in a long stick form. In a long stick form, exactly. Uh, I mean, at at Zilai and and. I think in my family history, we try to be a little more healthy, so uh, we don't we don't deep fry anything, so we don't serve that. Even though that, I guess, is 
more a, a more iconic uh, Taiwanese see. breakfast. Okay. Uh, but we serve ours uh, with egg, and then and then I think guess this is um, a more sort of Americanized piece where my my mom would sometimes uh, give us some bacon with it. So so we serve ours with some bacon too. Oh, there's the twist. <laughs> um, so, do you feel like the menu will be changing or expanding, or you're gonna kind of stick with these options first? That's a good question. I think a lot of uh, it's been really fun to see how many people have really come ar- come around us with Taiwanese food, and and everyone always has like these suggestions. Oh, we we should put this on the menu, put that on the menu, and. And 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 I'm with them. I I, I think um, all of these different suggestions are great. The li- current limitation is how small our kitchen is. I mean, you've you've been there. You've seen it. Uh, we have we've 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 maxed it out. <laughs> we have. It's th- like the size of the HRN studio, but maybe smaller even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 300 square feet. And I mean, we came from pop up, so I think it was three three times the size of a pop up. We we're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. You're growing it's going to be huge. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but but now it's uh, we just don't have enough kitchen space for for other. I mean, we'll we'll continually experiment, and we have uh, some breakfast uh, specials, sort of like in our back pocket that I'm thinking about and trying to figure out when I want to bring those out. But oh, I think we are we are limited by space. So I guess I guess to really answer that question, we'll just have to figure out when we'll be able to expand. Very cool. We're gonna take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Uplands Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West. So, Edward, what inspired you to open Zylai? And I guess, like, second part of that question is, did you know you were going to open Zylai? Like, when was that moment? (laughs) Uh, Those are great questions. Um, What inspired me to open the restaurant, I think, is really the hospitality piece. Um, Like I mentioned, my mom is, is a big piece of the inspiration for, for this. And, and we would just, I, I didn't know that this wasn't normal at the time. My mom would just invite over, you know, people and just have family parties. And, and, and this would be like every week, every weekend, uh, we would go 
somewhere or some people would come over and we just eat together. And and that was a really formative piece of my childhood growing up is, you know, just, just being around people, eating together consistently over time. And I think um, that hospitality piece, wanting to provide a space where people can do that, right? Uh, I think as I thought about it, the, the root word of hospitality is actually hospital. It's, it's a place of healing and a place of restoration. And uh, my inspiration and, and reason for wanting to do Zyla was really wanting to offer a place like that to New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. That sounds really great. So in terms of getting into food, though, you know, like working in the kitchen, was that your like four year old self talking to Matt when that idea <laughs> came up? Or was it through, you know, your experience in college or like the, the traveling after? That's a great question. I think, um, I think at some point, I, I, I don't know exactly when this happened, but there was a point where it was just in me, where I almost felt like I couldn't not do it. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, but I think very practically, too, I, I recognized um, after, after coming back from Taiwan that I rarely ate uh, Taiwanese food or Chinese food out just because I couldn't get what I wanted. Uh, and so um, I think part of me was saying, hey, like, there's... The, the market's missing something. It's missing this really good Taiwanese food. And, and maybe uh, I can you know, play a part in bringing that. Mm-hmm. Would you say you like kind of staged by your mom's side <laughs> along the way as you grew up? Or are you kind of like after um, experiencing Taiwan and eating across the island, you kind of like circled back to her and be like, mom, teach me everything. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely much more of the circling back. I think I, I didn't have the, the self-awareness or the maturity as a kid to, to, I don't know, just be grateful for, you know, for all that my mom did and, and how, how committed she was. Yeah. So, yeah, talking about the mission of Zai Lai, providing that um, Taiwanese social aspect, the hospitality, what, what's the reception so far? It's been much stronger than I expected, which has been a very pleasant surprise. Uh, the, the Taiwanese community has really come around us in a very, I don't know, just in a very encouraging way. I think mm-hmm. people are just hungry for Taiwanese food. And I guess when they haven't had it in so long, they're just like, yes, you're here, you're open, thank you. Um, we've had some stories where... Uh, actually, I met someone uh, this past week even where um, I think she's lived in New York. Uh, she said she's lived in New York longer than I've been than I've been alive. So it's been a while. And and she was just so grateful to have Taiwanese food. She said, I'm going to tell everyone about this. I And she, she ate with us and then she came back and bought some more for her kids so that her kids could try it and just have, have Taiwanese food. I, I think there's such a rich cultural heritage uh, among Taiwanese people and then and not having an expression or an ability to step into that through food, I think, is um, it's, it's, it's hard um, mm-hmm. to, to be a culture that values food so much and yet uh, isn't able to enjoy it regularly. So I think uh, people have really responded to us. Yeah, that's awesome. And what about for non-Asians? For non-Asians, they've... Um, most non-Asians have been really, really supportive as well. I think uh, m- much more than, than I expected. We've had this uh, huge, uh, yeah, just, just groundswell of support of people saying, hey, this is, this is kind of like Chinese food, but it's not. It's different, uh, but I like it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so fresh. These flavors are great. They're different. I mean, like, like everything, there's always going to be people that love it and pe- some people that don't like it. And, and that's just some 
part of part of everything that we do. Yeah, I also um, feel like your placement, you know, it's like a commuter hub. Yeah. Your position to expose Taiwanese food to all sorts of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, from a pop-up at Madison Square Eats, right? Yeah, to right. now permanent home at the Turnstile Market. You know, what have you learned so far? What are some milestones, challenges, or like surprises along the way? <laughs> uh, one big surprise was from our first pop-up to finally opening this location, it took us three and a half years. Uh, it was... It's, it's, yeah, that sounds it, kind of like a long time, I guess, <laughs> right? Is that what that is? Yeah, it's, it's just... Opening a restaurant in New York City is just a really hard journey mm -hmm. and and i when i first started i uh i don't think i was prepared for how hard it was going to be just i mean you just as a small business you just have to do a little bit of everything you have to try out food and it's not just the food it's the small business aspect it's the raising money it's it's everything i think without the support of my wife i don't know that I, that <laughs> i would be around to be very honest i mean and and also the I'm, I'm not saying this for pity points, but the the sort of praise criticism ratio is is, is not equal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll just I'll just say it that way, right? And I mean, and and maybe this is a funny way of saying it, but I feel like uh, in in Taiwanese culture, people are very quick to tell you how you can improve. Uh, this mm, is sort of very like, like blunt in a way, <laughs> maybe very, very blunt. Uh, this is sort of like the A minus isn't good enough. Uh, yeah. You know, sort of. Oh, that's so funny. I saw on your Instagram stories today. Congratulations. You got a grade A <laughs> we, from we the, the food department. But you're like, uh, mom would be like, uh, where's A plus? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I actually, this is a funny experience with my mom. We we were eating in Din Taifeng, uh, mm -hmm. which is probably one of the most well-recognized soup dumpling restaurants in the world. Right. Like hugely successful, incredibly Incredible food, Michelin stars, everything. And my mom looks around and she says, Oh, if you can do something like this, that'd be good. You're like, what? And I was like, <laughs> Mom, this is like some of the best food in the world. I mean, I, I want to, you know, hopefully we get there. But that's, you know, that's sort of the, the environment um, that I find myself uh, in. <laughs> Aim for the stars always. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and so I think, I think it... The, the the time and the difficulty, I think uh, it's it's been so hard, but I think it's been hugely helpful in sort of developing myself as a person, finding my identity, recognizing that, you know, my report card or how I do, my success doesn't define me as a person. And I think that's uh, maybe a very Asian American, I mean, it's probably a very universal sort of sort of idea, but I think it was... Uh, a huge experience that I'm grateful for coming through and, and recognizing, hey, uh, when I'm not producing, when I'm not, you know, making a whole bunch of money, like my wife still loves me, the people around me still love me, the and, and you I'm get still to do what for. you love. Yeah, yeah. So it's I think because it took so long, it's so much more satisfying. Like that that day that we opened, I was so nervous, I like, wanted to cry, <laughs> but but it was it was so satisfying to to finally get there and. And I feel like the stories we have these days in terms of startups and entrepreneurs and all that, it's, 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 all, it's all instant success. It's all, oh, they're 20 years old and they're a billionaire. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like well, there's so the much. Well, that's the stories that like media floats up to the top. <laughs> so it's really easy to be like sidetracked by that, but it's not reality. It's not reality. And, and I'm really grateful just for, I don't know, the, the life experience that I've had in opening this restaurant and 
and in that way, being able to to better care for my staff, to set realistic expectations. To uh, I know my business partners have been with me from from the beginning, and and we actually had a conversation where, at one point, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Maybe I just need to return whatever money we have, and. And 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 just you know, I'm sorry, I've, I've I've lost you money, and and for them to say, hey, I believe in you, and I believe in Xyline, and believe in what you're doing, um, you know, go for it. You know, that's like, that's that's worth much more than you know that that experience is, is so much more valuable mm-hmm. than than being an instant instant success in my yeah, eyes. Wow, that's so amazing. <laughs> well, again, Craig, congratulations on that journey. I mean, it's such a learning process. Um, another aspect I wanted to cover off on is, you know, the, the home style concept of Zai Lai. Um, you know, like everyone has different definitions of home style. Have you, <laughs> have you gotten that feedback from some of your customers? Yeah, it's the, the word home style is so much more polarizing than I expected. Yeah. And also maybe like, especially for Taiwanese food. I suppose so. I mean, in, in some ways... Homestyle in Taiwan is is almost a lost art. I mean, everyone t- food in Taiwan is so cheap that it's so easy to eat out that a lot of people aren't cooking. That there's this new mm, generation mm-hmm. of people that aren't cooking anymore. So people are looking to parents and grandparents for those homestyle flavors that aren't as prevalent anymore, which is yeah. really interesting in, in my mind. But I, I guess in Taiwan also, there's such a just like in the U.S. right. There's different regions with different emphases of on different. Uh, different vegetables or different types of flavors. Like in the south, it's a little sweeter. In the north, it's uh, it's a little cleaner. And and some of these differences, I, I guess when I put home style, I was thinking my home style. But I, I guess for some people, it's it's not their home style. And and I guess that's what can be can be harder. Yeah, especially if they're in Taiwanese and so excited to see this first Taiwanese restaurant in like a Manhattan location. They're like, what? (laughs) But that's still, that's still super cool. And um, one thing we've also noticed here at Feast Meets West, and we've been so fortunate to have some of your Taiwanese food peers on the show. So the guys from Winsun, Boba Guys, and later this season, Rich from Ho Foods. Um, Why do you think that it's been in the last two, three years, maybe that, the Taiwanese food movement has become somewhat louder. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really good question. That's something that I've been thinking about more. Uh, I think it's there, I think there's two reasons. I think one is I think New Yorkers recognize good food when they when they have it, and I think that there's so much Taiwan has such a strong food culture that as that is starting to be, I guess, displayed in New York. I think people are recognizing it and they're they're enjoying it, and that's that's been really really promising. I think another reason is is really the immigration story. Um, a lot of the original Taiwanese uh, restaurateurs um, are have sort of aged out of restaurants. If, if I don't know if if people have noticed, but it's harder to find really you know good Taiwanese food even in Flushing it's harder to find there it's a lot less prevalent than it was before people mm-hmm. have you know it's, it's sort of the American dream where Taiwanese families uh, the first generation immigrants have sacrificed to make a better opportunity for their kids and their kids have become professionals and they're not interested in running these restaurants anymore and so so they're slowly closing so it's just harder I think in general it's harder to find Taiwanese food. Yeah, like the art isn't passed down from generation to generation exactly. here as kids become lawyers and doctors. And exactly. I mean, and, and I, I 
I, you know, I'm a lawyer, so, uh, you know, that's, that's part of my background. But I think there's, there's something, I don't know, incredibly beautiful about, I guess, this, what you describe as, you know, this, this I don't know, a, a new wave of Taiwanese entrepreneurs that are, that are interested in saying, hey, this, this food is really good. Let's, let's present it to the world. And, and it's, it's, been, it's been a really huge privilege to be a part of that. Also, hold up. I didn't know you were also a lawyer. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, so lawyer chef. When yeah. did you make that like switch over? I made the switch over. Well, I had the distinct uh, honor of graduating in 2010, right when there were three years of unemployed lawyers from the recession. <laughs> oh, God. So some of, some of it was an accident. I mean, my first job out of law school, I, I, I did catering in law school to make some extra money. Mm-hmm. And my first job out of law school, um, besides an internship I was doing, I was, you know, I, I helped uh, a chef open a restaurant. And I just, I just enjoyed it. I just thought it was fun. And it ended up being really valuable experience for, for me opening my restaurant. Oh my God, that's so great. Of course, from lemons, you make lemonade. <laughs> um, so what do you hope and project for the future of Taiwanese breakfast and Taiwanese food in the U.S.? So I'm a big, uh, big uh, superhero fan. <laughs> so I saw Black Panther recently and... And beyond just a good superhero movie, I've been really stoked to see what Black Panther is doing, rightly so, for the Black community, and and just uh, projecting a sense of pride in, in, in who the Black community is. And uh, if if anything, uh, what I'd love to see is Taiwanese people, Chinese people, Asians, uh, that as they see more, you know, of Asian food, Taiwanese food out there, that they would also take a, a sense of pride in, in their heritage and in who they are as as Taiwanese Americans. That's awesome. Um, okay, so last question. What's next for you and Tsai Lai? <laughs> that's, that's one that... I don't know. That I, that I, I know think you about just often. opened. You literally <laughs> just opened, We've, what, last year? Yeah, in the we've, permanent we've location. been open yeah. for, for three months in our location. We've actually been doing, you know, providentially way better than we projected. So that's that's a great sign. So we're, we're starting to think about expansion. Um, and so we're, we're looking at that. Um, a, a Xylai noodle bar could be really fun. Uh, one of the things that, that I'm dreaming of right now, um, and this is still really early, you I guess you'll, you'll hear it here first, is I would love to help organize a Taiwanese food festival Ooh. with some of these peers that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're, we're starting to get together and we're starting to just talk and dream. And I think, I think that'd be so much fun. Mm-hmm. That's really incredible. Well, you know, I'll definitely be there. <laughs> <laughs> you have our support. Um, and that just about wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for joining us, Edward. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me, Linda. Um, so what's the best way for our listeners to stay up to date on news from Zylai? Our Instagram handle is at NYC. That's Z-A-I-L-A-I-N-Y-C. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. Awesome. And you'll be sharing some of those surprise uh, breakfast items there? <laughs> They'll definitely go on Instagram uh, okay. as soon as they come out. Cool. Um, and for you listeners out there, did you enjoy this episode? If so, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It'll go a long way getting others to listen and discover the show. And we'll be back next week with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.